Right, as uh, Jimmy said, the um, scripture reading this morning is 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. It's on uh, page 1158, if you're following along in the maroon uh, Bible in your pew. But, <clears throat> excuse me, for you, for you, uh, can't read. For you, uh, remember, brethren, our, label, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to, to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of, of God. You are witnesses in God also, how devotely and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. As has been echoed, we are glad that you're here this morning. We know that we do have some visitors with us. We are especially glad that you're here. Hope that you'll make it a point to come back and be with us again at every opportunity. Uh, if you haven't already, fill out a blue visitor's card that's there in the pew, and you can either leave it there on the pew uh, where somebody will pick it up or give it to one of the members. But more than that, we hope that you'll stay around for a few minutes after our services. We can get a chance to get to know you. If you are unfamiliar with the services of the Church of Christ, all we're simply trying to do is just be disciples only, just simply New Testament. Christians. We don't want to be of a particular denomination. We just want to look back into the pattern of what we see in the New Testament and just be Christians, nothing more, nothing less. What you've experienced this morning so far with the singing, with the preaching, or sorry, with the singing, with the praying, uh, with the observance of the Lord's Supper, with the contribution, those four acts we find the church doing weekly every, on the first day of every week. And also the bringing out of the Word of God as we're doing now, that's what's part of New Testament worship. And it's amazing to me that all the way back from the very first century when the church was established, you find Christians, faithful Christians, just observing those exact same things in a variety of places. Jesus mentioned that those who are worshiping God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And he says it's not in one particular place that you worship, it's with the people of God and worshiping the God of heaven. And we're enabled to do that through the blood of Jesus. Turning our attention to this lesson this morning, let me say this. It's amazing to me how Paul endeared himself to the church of Thessalonica and how the church of Thessalonica endeared themselves to Paul in such a short time. Acts chapter 17 tells us that Paul spent three Sabbaths, just about a month with these Christians. And yet at the same time, as you read through 1 Thessalonians, and I invite you to turn in your Bible there if you haven't already, it's amazing that you would read in 1 Thessalonians how dear this congregation had become to Paul and how dear the congregation and uh, Paul had become to the congregation. Acts 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 6 says that Paul was concerned about them, that they had become so precious to him and dear to him. Acts chapter 3, or sorry. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 says that Paul had them in his mind and had them in his heart. He was concerned about them so much so that he sent Timothy back after they had already left to go and check on them, see how they were doing. And when Timothy came back with his report, Timothy had nothing but good news for Paul and saying, it's a great thing, Paul. They are hanging in there. They're being faithful. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they are continuing to be anchored to Christ. And Paul would say... 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, that their faith had gone out into all the world. They were making a difference. And it's amazing to me that Paul looked at them with such a short time with this congregation and said, you guys are so precious to me. 
I love you so much, and I love the fact that you're holding fast to the Word of God. I love the fact that you're holding fast to the gospel that you've received. And I ask myself, what made the difference? What made a difference for Paul to endear himself to this congregation and the congregation to endear themselves to Paul in such a short time? And you might point out and say, well, Andy, it was obviously the care that Paul exuded for them and the concern that he showed them and, and realizing that, that, uh, that he loved them. And chapter 1, verse 5 says that there was a character that was involved, not only just the word of preaching to them, but it was also Paul showing them what it was like to be a Christian and showing them a selfless character and showing them love and sacrifice for this congregation. I say, yes, absolutely. But friends, what made the most difference to the church at Thessalonica was the preaching and teaching of the gospel. Please understand that these things, the care and concern and love and, and sacrifice that Paul exhibited, are not exclusive from the gospel. That's a part of it. You cannot preach and teach the gospel faithfully without having love and care and concern and sacrifice be involved in those things. And Paul showed the gospel and the difference that it's able to make in people's lives based upon his faithful preaching and teaching while exuding these characteristics of the love and concern. And I believe that, above all, is the chief characteristic about why Paul was so loved by this church and why the church was so loved by Paul, even just after a short time, like a month. He told them, you need to be anchored to Christ through the gospel. I'm going to make my application specific this morning for husbands and fathers. Particularly because, well, if you haven't noticed through our singing, we're a little bottom heavy this morning. We've got about 40 of our ladies that are gone this morning away from our assembly, and they are off at a retreat. That's the reason why I'm not wearing a tie this morning, because I didn't know which one matched, right? My wife is gone, and, you know, she's not going to be happy when we discover that we threw all the dirty clothes away. You know, we've been eating our meals over the... I'm just kidding, right? We ate our meals over the kitchen table. But anyway, but you understand that... Our ladies are away at a retreat learning about being deeply rooted in Christ. And I understand there's some here this morning, again, that maybe didn't get an opportunity to go on the retreat, maybe had something else to go. But speaking specifically to husbands and fathers, if they're talking about being deeply rooted in Christ, what a good opportunity for us as husbands and fathers to think about being anchored firmly to Christ. Because with our families, whether you have 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, you are with those people for such a short time. And you have such an opportunity as a husband and as a father to anchor your family firmly to Christ. And when we think about doing those things and helping our families in that way, we can best help our families to be anchored by Christ, to Christ, by firmly being anchored to Christ ourselves, first and foremost, through the gospel. Can I deal with just a couple of false notions before we get into the bulk of our lesson this morning? Number one, dads, husbands, sometimes we get the idea that we're the anchor. And sometimes we get the idea that we're the rock. You ever have somebody say that to you? Oh, you're just the rock of your family. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because that means that if you're the rock of your family, what happens if that rock goes away? What happens if, it, God forbid, you die suddenly in your sleep? What happens if something takes you away from your family? That means your family's going to drift. That means your family's going to fall apart. I don't want to be the rock for my family. What about the anchor? What ties us to the rock? Don't believe you're the anchor either. 
Because that just means the only thing that's holding your family in place is just you. And, and if, if you start moving, then again, your family's going to drift. But you as the captain of your ship, if we're using this metaphor, you as the captain of your ship have a responsibility to hold your family firmly to the gospel and hold the gospel firmly to Christ. Because the only thing that's going to endear yourself to the, your family and the only thing that's going to help your family last whenever times start getting rough and the seas start getting uh, uh, tumultuous is them being anchored by the gospel to Christ because that's what you've set as the husband, as the father, as the captain. Let me deal with the elephant in the room just for a moment. I recognize that there may be some single-parent households. I recognize there may be some families that are dealing with the fact that maybe you've got an unsupportive husband or wife. You've got an unsupportive spouse. Maybe you don't have a spouse. And I want you to know that if you're like a single mother raising your children by yourselves, you can do it. It's hard, certainly, but you can do double duty as far as setting the spiritual direction and setting the direction for your family, but also being nurturing and, and, and helpful and, and, and to fulfill those both roles. I know it's difficult, but I have a mother that did the exact same thing. And let me encourage you, again, if you're a single mother or single father, take your kids and put them in the path of people that are anchored to Christ through the gospel. Make it a point to put positive male and female role models in their life to show them this is what a person looks like that's anchored to Christ. Help them to see what's going on as far as, 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 as somebody that's, whose life is anchored. Help them by bringing them and putting in their lives godly men and women who are going to help them. But turning our attention back to husbands, fathers, and looking at our section here of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, of asking a question, what made the difference for Paul helping this church to stay anchored to Christ, even though he spent such a short time with them? There are four things that I want us to notice. And each one of these four things has got three words underneath and then a key word for us to remember. And I hope that you'll either mark them in your Bible or follow along on your outline sheet because they're important for all of us to know. Number one, as a husband and father, you want to anchor your family firmly to Christ First thing we want to say is you need to work hard and you need to herald to your family and certainly to other people your commitment to him. Notice chapter 2 and how many times in chapter 2 he talks about the gospel. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of always in our prayers. And we know that, uh, remember, without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in the sight of the Lord Jesus and the sight of God our Father, knowing your election by God, verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only and in power, but in assurance in the Holy Spirit. As we look, we see Paul's commitment to Christ. And notice down in verse, uh, uh, verse 13, a couple of things that he notices, or verses 8 and 9, rather. Yes, uh, verse 8 and 9. A couple of things of what he talks about, what he was responsible for. He says, you know our labor among you. The word means to have something that's intense. Intense work with trouble and toil. And then he uses another word in talking about toil. Again, you say, well, those, those two are kind of synonymous. Yes, they are. And yet toil also indicates a distress, a hardship of what you're thinking about. And it's true, sometimes there's things that help you not sleep too well at night? Isn't it true that you lay awake sometimes worrying about some things? Paul says, Thessalonians, you knew those things. How I was working hard in the midst of distress and difficulty, but also that there was, I was laboring among you. This is the word we use for work, simply working. 
And no doubt, when you look back at Acts 17 and see the problems that Paul faced in Thessalonica, there were envious Jews, Acts 17, verse 6. There were Jews that were going, following Paul around, and they would take a disciple by the name of Jason and drag him, and then they would make these accusations. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here. We don't want you here. We don't want you here. Don't you imagine that that brought Paul an amount of stress and difficulty and labor in his work? Don't you know that brought Paul some sleepless nights with regard to the gospel? And those things, friends, will come to us. But the word we want to concentrate on is this word, preach. Herald your commitment to Christ and the gospel. Paul had this as his singular mission as a man of God. I am about Jesus Christ and being his man. And I'm about Jesus Christ and being his man and making sure that other people know that I am Jesus Christ's man and I am just wanting to be a simple man of God. And in all cases, with all these three other words and realizing that his mission was to preach to them, he sheltered his family, the Thessalonians, from the difficulty and distress as best he could. He sheltered his family. He didn't want to be a burden to them. But he was real with them about what he's all about. He says, you know my character. You know my conduct. You know what I was about. Friends, do our families know what we're about as men of God? Do our families know that we're dedicated to just being God's man and nothing else? You know how that's going to come out? That's going to come out how we handle these first three things that we're talking about. About how we handle our stress and our difficulty and our labor and our work. And all of those things are tempered by the fact that these things are only temporary. But what's going to stand and what's going to make the lasting difference in somebody's life is the gospel and being anchored to Jesus Christ through that. Firmly anchored to him. The stresses that your job provide, the stresses that you deal with, maybe with money matters, you realize all those things are going to be gone one day. All those things are going to become null and void one day. But the God that you're clinging to and the gospel that you're trying to live and showing care and concern and sacrifice and love for those things is always going to be there and it's always going to last it's always going to keep us anchored exactly where we need to be I'm God's man who are you and what we do as we declare our mission what my mission is here as a man of God is not just to earn a living is not just to work to earn a paycheck it's not just to stress about money or job or 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 times whatever those things are that you're living in my job is to try and make Jesus known my job is to hold fast to him the gospel you have a mission statement for yourself so many people drift aimlessly through life they drift not knowing exactly what they're all about even Christians can sometimes do this and as you're drifting along sometimes you're blown by winds of change and winds of of compromise and winds of winds of culture but if you're God's man if you're working hard and realizing this is what God wants me to be as a man of God, you're in prime position to be able to make a lasting difference in your family with whom you have such a precious little time. No matter what comes the difficulty, I know exactly where we're going to stay. I know exactly where I'm going to stay as a man of God, and that is firmly anchored to Jesus Christ. Number two, speak and behave with your family 
as one committed to Christ. Look at verse 10. Here's our three words. The first two have to do with keeping the laws of God and having to do with keeping the laws of man. Paul says, you know my character, you know my conduct, how devoutly I was towards you. A couple of synonyms you might have in your Bible, piously, devoted, faithfully. You know that I was pious and devoted. We're back to point number one about being God's man and no other. He says, you also know how justly I behaved in you. This has to do with a character that's equal or equitable, both in character and in action. And also how blamelessly, there's a faultlessness to, God, to Paul. I was told back in college that one of the best ways to make spaghetti is how do you know when spaghetti's ready? And they say, well, you take some out of the pot with your little scooper strainer, and you take that spaghetti and you throw it up against the wall, and if it sticks to the wall, it's ready. That's not right. Please don't, please don't take that as gospel, right? Here's somebody that tries to make a charge against you as a man of God. I'm going to try and throw something to see what sticks. There's nothing that's going to stick. That's the third word, blamelessly. Blamelessly. There's nothing that defines you in character or in action that's going to make a difference. And Paul says, you see these three words about me and my character. And the key word I want you to understand is this, is the word you are witnesses. You understand because you have seen me. You've seen and you can testify of exactly all of these things about the way that I behaved among you. How did Paul endear himself so strongly to this congregation? It's because he was about the gospel and about holding fast to Jesus Christ through the gospel. And what's amazing is this word, witnesses, is the same word that we talk about with regard to people sitting in the stands and watching a football game or watching a basketball game or watching a baseball game. And you're watching every little thing that's going on. And you're watching and critiquing and criticizing in some respects what's going on down there on the field, aren't you? Because that's what we talk about with regard to spectators. Paul says, church, you are spectators of me. You know that I behave myself devoutly and justly and blamelessly. And you can testify of these things because you've seen that in my life. Friends, what do your family see in you? What do your family see in your character, in your conduct. They ought to see a person that's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but somebody who's changed by the power of the gospel. Not sinless, but somebody who's behaving as a person who's forgiven by Christ. Instead, sometimes I believe that if you were to ask your family what they see in you, I see a hypocrite. You realize our children are far better at spotting hypocrites than we are? Our children can better point at those faults and those characteristics. Why? Because sometimes I can put up a false front if I'm at my job in my office. I can put up a false view sometimes when I'm at the church of who I am and I could try and preach myself as pious. Look at how devoted I am, devoted I am. Look at how devoutly I behave. But you know what? You cannot hide yourself from those little eyes from the people that know you best at home and who see you first and foremost at home. Would mom and dad be termed hypocrites by children? Say, you say you're anchored to Christ, point number one. You say that you're held to the gospel, but I see that you're drifting. Your character, your words, your actions demonstrate such a lack of commitment. One man said this about hypocrites, about pretenders. He said, how to mess up the minds of your children? Here's guaranteed a way to do it. 
Rear them in a legalistic environment of external religion. It's all about the outside and the picture that you portray. Where performance is more important than reality. Fake your faith. Sneak around and pretend about your spirituality. Train your children to do the same and embrace a long list of do's and don'ts, but hypocritically practice those things in private. And yet never own up to the fact that those are things that you're doing are hypocrisy. Act one way, but live another, and you can count on it. You are going to mess up your children. You are going to provide emotional and spiritual damage to occur. What will children say? What will my children say about me when they leave the house? Dad was a hypocrite. He said he had faith in God. He said he had a commitment to God. All that was surface level. You didn't see him at home. You didn't know who he was. And I want no part of that. You know why kids leave the church sometimes? It's because they see that the gospel hasn't made a difference in the life of mom and dad. And there's no connection to it for them. They say that there's an anchor that's holding them to Christ. They don't see mom and dad behaving any different. Dads, you want to make a difference in your family's direction. As captain of your ship, so to speak, you anchor them and say, this is what the Lord says and this is what we're going to do. I'm going to model that. I'm going to behave that way. And I want you to look at me, and when you see things that are out of sync with what, uh, what Christ teaches, I want you to tell me, respectfully, Dad, why is it that Christ says this? Why is it that, things are, you know, that the Bible says this, and yet I see our family doing this? Because that's somebody that's loving and concerned about the character and conduct that we're beha- behaving with. Point number three, we need to love and admonish our families as one who is committed to Christ. Verse 11, our three words. Paul says, you know, you saw, not only that I was a man who worked hard for you, you saw and you behaved and you knew that I was a man who was both in word and deed committed to Jesus, but you also saw how I encouraged you personally to be disciples of Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. Here's our three words. The first one that you see there in verse 11, exhorted. Word is called to one side. Called to one side. Sometimes in our house, Baker house, I could say, son, come here. Come here. I need to, we need to talk just a bit. And there's an understanding that there's going to be instruction, at least in some part. There's going to be an understanding that there's aid that's brought about in some part. But I want that child near to me so that I can help them to be more of what I know that God wants them to be. There's a comfort and an exhortation to call to one side. The second word he uses, he said, you know how we exhorted you and comforted you. Here's an encouragement and right things. We can tell our kids, listen, I see how you're developing as a baseball player. You are swinging the ball just right or swinging the bat just right and hitting the ball just right. You're fielding those grounders just right. I know that you're doing those things. I'm so proud of you. You've done a great job. What about spiritual environment? What about praising our children for doing what's right, spiritually speaking? Son, I appreciate so much how you're being more thoughtful of your sisters. Sweetheart, I love you so much. You are growing such a, just like a woman of God ought to grow. I'm so proud of you. Because we can praise all the physical things. You're getting good grades. You're top of your class. You're, you're, you're first chair in band. You're, you're starter on the football team. But if we never praise what's spiritual... How can we say that we've anchored our children to Jesus? How can we say we're, as husbands and fathers, helping our children and exhorting them and comforting them? And the third word, charging them. 
charging them. Son, this is what's right. We as a family are committed to doing what's right. And that's not up for discussion. I heard tell of a child because he knew that the attendance pattern of his family was sporadic. He knew that his dad and his mom could be talked out of going to services. Went to dad before Wednesday night and said, Dad, you know how long it is, you know how far it is to services. Do we really need to go tonight? You realize, you know, that we could, we could probably just as easily watch online. You know, Dad, we've got a whole lot of other things going on. We've got schoolwork. We've got these things. You know, I, need, I haven't practiced uh, basketball recently. Dad, can't we just get out of going to church this one time? And the dad's saying, yeah, you know, it's been a long day. I guess that's okay. Can I tell you something? If you're a father like that, you need to repent. And I say that with all the love and all the care and concern that I have. If you're a dad like that, you need to change your ways. Because what you've just told your children is circumstances can dictate our priorities. Circumstances and all those things, those, those things that are always going to be there, those things are always going to be there. But your demonstration of an anchor to Jesus Christ, you have such a precious little time maybe more than three Sabbaths day, like Paul had with the Thessalonian church, but your influence and your time with your children is going to run out one day. And if you don't demonstrate, listen, I know you're tired. I know that you have, you have schoolwork that needs to be done. I know that you've got this concert. I know that you've got this thing. But what we've got more, is more precious and more important. We've got a fellowship with the saints. We've got to get together with the people of God because we draw strength from that. And the momentary things do not outweigh the eternal. They do not. Because I can't imagine standing before God one day and hearing God say that my children were lost based upon me choosing what's temporary over what's eternal. Get serious about your commitment. Here's our word, love. Love your children, love your family. Love them enough to say we are committed. It's not a loving thing to say we're going to compromise based upon environment. It's not a loving thing to say, it's okay, you can fudge on this area that's spirituality. That's not loving. Something loving says we need to honor and respect the God of love. The God who in his very nature has demonstrated what love is, sending his son Jesus to die for us. And if we're not committed to that, Our families are going to suffer. We're going to suffer. Fourth command is this. You're not going to regret keeping your family anchored to Christ. I may regret a lot of things in this life, but one of the things I'm never going to regret is keeping my family near the cross and teaching my family the gospel of Jesus by me heralding that, by me committing myself to that in word and deed, by me comforting and charging my, uh, my family with regard to those things that are right and realizing that I'm sacrificially involved in their lives. 
I may regret a lot of things, but I'm not going to regret that. You know why? Because I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it for the long run. Notice these words. The word no. The word no. You say, well, Andy, that's not in the verse. Look at it. Verse 1. To the church of God at Thessalonica, grace to you and peace from our God the Father. What Paul understood was that the Thessalonians had received the gospel and they knew exactly what God wanted them to do and what they wanted them to be. Paul, in talking about them and in response to their, their, uh, their response to the gospel, he said, you can look at me, you can look at my character, you can look at my conduct, and you could realize you know exactly what kind of people we were among you for your sake. Verse 5, for neither at any time did we use coveted, uh, flattering words, as you know. Verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted you and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. The Thessalonian church could point back to specific environments and specific times whenever Paul was with them over those courses of those three, maybe four weeks. And they could say, oh yeah, we know that. Oh yeah, we saw Paul's commitment Oh yeah, we had a clear demonstration of everything that Paul wanted us to do uh, in being anchored to Christ through the gospel. We could see that. We could demonstrate that. They had a knowledge of that that they could look back to and realize that Paul had taught them and Paul had behaved as one who was teaching what's right. The second word is this, worthy. That you would walk worthy of God. That you would walk worthy in a respect to how, they're, how, they, how they walk. Our kids are developing a walk. <laughs> I could demonstrate some of the strange walks that I imitated for my friends in school. Uh, there was one that, was, that had a nice little limp to it, right? And you're looking at it going, what are they doing? Well, they're, they're imitating what they see. Our kids are developing their own walk. And Paul says, I want you to be a person who develops their walk and that walk being worthy, that I'm not the focus, but that God is. And that you see in me somebody who's following faithfully in the steps of Jesus. And that you walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Verse 12, and God who calls you, that word is present tense. It's not a one and done thing. Sometimes we behave like obey, obedience to the gospel is just one and done, all right? I've, uh, I've been baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. Now I'm good. I'm going to continue doing whatever it is I want to do. This is a continual calling. He says that God who continually calls you into his own kingdom and his own glory. And he says, I'm continually anchored, and you should be too. And as a dad, as a husband, as a father, looking at my family, I want my kids to know with certainty that I was a person who helped them walk worthy of the calling with which they've been called. And I want them to understand that this was not a one and done thing, but this is a continual lifestyle of me following faithfully in the footsteps of Jesus. And the word I want you to remember is this, is the word glory. It occurs throughout this chapter, but especially look at the very end of the chapter. Paul says, I wanted to come to you Thessalonians again. And I wanted to share in our common faith again. But I want you to know that even if we never see each other again, he says, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the end. For what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you? 
Thessalonians, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for you are our glory and you are our joy. I can imagine Paul, having never visited Thessalonians again, looking around at the final day of all the saints who have been moved to the right, all those who Jesus names as sheep, all those who are going to inherit the glory of the Father based upon their faithfulness of being anchored to Christ through the rock, or anchored through the, to Christ through the gospel. And how Paul is looking around and scanning the faces of the people who are redeemed and seeing Jason, the man who was dragged from his home, and seeing the disciples there that suffered in the persecution there in Thessalonica and saying, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you hung in there. I'm so glad you were faithful. Let's go on in together. It's going to be such a crown of rejoicing. I'm so looking forward to seeing you again, Jason. I'm so looking forward to seeing you again, Thessalonian church. I don't want to get to a point where I'm standing there on the day of judgment and realizing I had a chance to firmly anchor my family to the gospel and realizing that I squandered that time, such a short time, and realizing that as a husband and father I have not anchored my family the way that I ought to and realizing that my wife is not going into glory that my children are not going into glory that I myself am not going into glory because I did not prioritize Jesus as the rock and the gospel as the anchor that keeps me there and keeps my family there there are regrets that you have that haunt you in the night aren't there Things that you have in your life that you look back on and that keep you awake at night as you relive those moments again and again and again and again. I imagine what hell must be like and thinking about all the different opportunities that we had to make a lasting difference both in character and conduct and declaration and helping our families realize who Jesus is and helping them realize that we need to follow him faithfully and having to relive those things over and over and over and over and over for all eternity. Friends, the truth of the matter is is that we can try as husbands and fathers to anchor our family firmly to Jesus and realize that our family have got minds and wills of their own And even though we do our dead level best to understand that and to help them understand who Jesus is and that we're a family committed to faithfully following him, our children could choose to follow something else. That's the reality of it. But we will never, are you listening? We will never, ever regret making the point to anchor our families to Christ through the gospel. That's the reason why we need to spend time as husbands and fathers with our families saying, this is what's important to our household. These are the values and these are the, the characteristics of a man of God and a woman of God that we're trying to uphold. This is the responsibility that we have to pray together as a family, to share one another's burdens and to learn Christ first as a family. And then if the child gets old enough and then walks away from that and they stand before God unprepared, That's because of their choice, not because of anything that I did or didn't do as a father or husband. 
but our responsibility. As our ladies, 40 of them as I understand it, are learning about being deeply rooted in Christ, is to be the leader and the man of God that God wants us to be, and to stand up for what's right, and to herald what's right. If you have to look yourself in the mirror every day and say, I am God's man and no other. I'm committed to living God's way and no other way. I'm committed to showing the love of Christ to my family and helping them to realize there are some things that we don't compromise on. You do that. Look yourself in the eye every day. You find you can't look yourself in the eye. There's some things that you need to change. There's some things that you need to write as far as the ship goes. But if you've never made that commitment with your family, go home, have a family meeting, sit down and say, listen, I haven't been doing what's right. There's no shame in that. In fact, there's power in, in saying, listen, dad's been a hypocrite I haven't been living the way that I ought to. I want us to sit down as a family. I want us to commit ourselves that we're going to stay near Jesus Christ and we're going to do so by holding fast to the gospel. Because the only thing that's going to make a difference is the exact same gospel that Paul preached 2,000 years ago to that church in Thessalonica. And I love the fact, I love the fact that he sent Timothy back so concerned that they had moved themselves away and Timothy came back and said, Paul, guess what? They're doing great. They're hanging in there, Paul. In the midst of persecution and difficulty, they have not removed themselves from Christ. Praise God. As John would say, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. Friends, anchor yourselves. Individually, husbands and fathers, individually, and then as a family. And may God bless you in that endeavor. And may you be more like Christ in this endeavor. And may you not be swayed by culture. May you not be swayed by politics. May you not be swayed by inflation. May you not be swayed by anything else or the craziness that's going on in this world. We're going to hold fast in our anchor of the gospel to Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing.